What's poppin' people? This is your host, Brad Gonzalez of the Bradcast. Now, today's episode will be about books. Not just books, but the books I've been reading so far. And I'll also be making some book recommendations too later in this episode as well. Now, I'd like to clarify what I mean by the books I've read so far. I mean the books I've read so far this year, 2020. Just to let you know so you wouldn't get confused on whether or not I meant I've barely started reading books because, you know, I've been reading books since I was very young. You know, from picture books all the way up to novels and comic books and manga even. And even magazines, well, they're considered books too, so <laughs> why not? And textbooks, yes, I sometimes do read textbooks. Depending on what kind of textbook it is, so yeah. But but before I start, I'd like to get get this out of the way. I don't really like to talk about anything sad on this podcast, even if it's kind of brief. But just yesterday, the actor Chadwick Bosman passed away of colon cancer. In case if you don't know who Chadwick Bosman is, he's been in a couple of movies, especially the um, Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, such as Black Panther, Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame. Yeah, this death pretty much caught me and everyone else off guard, because we never knew he was battling colon cancer, and that he was diagnosed back in 2016 when uh, Captain America Civil War came out, which was his first appearance as the Black Panther character. Then he was filming other movies like Infinity War 21... What's that movie called? Hold on, let me check. I know it's a cop movie, I forget. It's, it's 21... 21 Bridges, yeah. 21 Bridges, The Five Bloods, and a couple of other movies when he was battling cancer and progressive stage 4, like... None of us even knew, you know, that he was fighting cancer, and I will say, because of that, he is one of the bravest men out there. Like, that was very brave of him to just keep fighting while filming, you know? And I saw a bunch of touching tributes on social media from, you know, from, like, different actors, different celebrities... Gaming personalities, comic book industry fellas, you know. Even, you know, saw people say, you know, how because of, you know, him portraying Black Panther, you know, a bunch of these, you know, little black kids, you know, have someone to look up to, even though that they didn't really read his the comics back then, they were introduced to the character through film, and that's what I like about, you know, some of these comic book movies that they introduce, you know, these not-so-well-known characters to the mainstream. Though I have known uh, the character even before his film came out, but but I'm just happy that, you know, through different mediums, just in case if don't, but if they haven't read a comic book yet, they can just check out a movie or a TV show, and boom, they're introduced to a character that they really like. Yeah, I was... That made me pretty sad last night, too. Didn't see it coming. 2020 just took another life. 
And you know my prayers are out there for with Chadwick Bosman and his family. And you know, I'm sure you know they'll figure something out because they already they were already planning a second Black Panther movie. And I'm not sure how they're gonna try to do a second Black Panther movie because I, I honestly don't think Chadwick Bosman could be replaced as the Black Panther because he did so damn good in those movies as he does with his other movies like 21 Bridges or that one Jackie Robinson movie too. Which is a historical movie, you know, you should probably check it out. Yeah, so my... Prayers are out to his family, his friends, his co-stars. I mean, he was a great man, and he was very brave, you know, these past four years. He will be missed a lot. Now, that was my brief thoughts on the passing of Chadwick Bosman before we start the episode. So, in other news, before I start this episode, I've recently started playing uh, Ghost of Tsushima on uh, PlayStation 4, PS4. And so far, it's a pretty badass game where you play as a samurai who has to fight the Mongols invading the Japanese island of Tsushima. And what makes it a huge plus to me is that it's also a, a historical game even though that some of the characters are fiction such as the mongol leader that's featured in the in the game as a main villain but other than having some fictional elements it's still pretty cool to have another historical game that's pretty good too and i'll probably talk about this game in another podcast so yeah, and I also should point out that I'm going to be typing a report on this game for my history in and of video games class, so that'll be pretty cool. Not to mention that that game was specifically listed on the prompt, so yeah, you'll be help seeing me playing that game more often. Often still been playing uh, some Red Dead Redemption 2 on the Xbox and some Call of Duty multiplayer. Oh, and Cold War, Black Ops Cold War looks tight and another historical game even though it has some fictional elements so i'll be looking for that one too and i still play my nintendo switch like i sometimes go in and off and on animal crossing and i recently downloaded a final fantasy 8 remastered so yeah i've been wanting to play final fantasy 8 and they remastered it and it was also on the switch so why not that's where my classes are going pretty well so far although i have to make sure i have some good time management because of the workload of two classes specifically the European class and the Renaissance women class because that's what it technically is it's about women in the Renaissance so yeah I gotta just make sure I have my work on time and you know take notes on whatever is needed so yeah so that's basically a little catching up of what I've been up to as for future podcast episodes I am thinking about having another guest in an upcoming episode. Maybe more guests if I'm able to. So, say Frosty for that. So, anyway. So, right now I have my delicious Black Rifle AK-47 Espresso Roast Coffee. Even though it's not espresso, it's actually from my drip machine. So, yeah. 
Ah, just the boldness. Like it's a medium roast. Tastes good though. I really like my coffee black though. Sometimes I put creamer, but still. Yeah, so shout out to uh, Black Raffle Coffee for this delicious roast. I'd recommend them. They make some pretty damn good coffee roasts and even have some other products. And they also support veterans too, so that's a plus. So yeah, check out the brand. They also have Black Raffle Coffee on Amazon. So yeah, I'm not being sponsored. I'm just, you know, just giving a coffee recommendation. <laughs> so yeah. Anyhow, so let's take one sip of this coffee. And let's get started on this episode of the Bradcast. Okay, so when the year began, I've had a New Year's resolution, okay? And I'm pretty sure we all have made a couple of New Year's resolutions every single uh, New Year, you know, whether it be wanting to lose weight, which is pretty popular, or getting shape, or you know, be less stressful, or do something new, or life-changing, or experiment with, you know, something like a new diet, or a new lifestyle, or, you know, it could be whatever you want, or if you want to learn something new, like I said, it could be whatever thing you want, although a lot of us, you know, don't even finish our New Year's resolution, especially the ones that are about weight loss, too. Which is understandable, but, you know, a lot of these resolutions need time and effort. Just saying. Okay, so. And I decided this year to make my resolution to be reading more books. Because I remember reading a couple of books back in 2018... But I didn't read as much books in 2019, so I figured, you know, I really enjoyed that burst in reading in 2018, so I just want to read more books, whether they be fiction or non-fiction books. I'm all in, you know, I love to read. Now, my experiences with reading goes all the way back when elementary school, like, I used to love to read. Like, first it was like those simple uh, picture books. You know, like Dr. Seuss or the Cat in the Hat or, you know, <laughs> Green Eggs and Ham. I don't like that shit, Sam, I am. <laughs> yeah, so. And then as I got older, we were required to read even more chapter books. And, you know, they were a little tough to read at first when you first read them. Because we all know we didn't really like reading chapter books back then. But, you know, looking back, I'd actually finish those chapter books in like a fuck. Excuse me, almost said the effort a flipping day or even a couple hours because they're actually pretty small chapter books, and yeah, they may be seem daunting to us back when we were younger, but now as an adult, I could breeze through them very well because of the reading level. And being older, I realized what those reading levels meant because I'm pretty sure if you went to your school library, you'd usually have to get like a book, especially for those. Uh, AR reading test which you know you read a book and then you have to answer a couple of questions and yeah believe me that stuff was responsible for some people myself included uh, surprisingly somehow for getting detention because we didn't reach our AR goals even though sometimes it takes time to read a finish a chapter book and you can't even look at your book at the test and yeah I don't even 
understand the freaking point of those AR tests, but still, at least we got to read some good books out of it. And some of the other books I liked reading back then included some non-fiction books, like, you know, sometimes you should re read books on, like, volcanoes or endangered animals when I was younger. Like, uh, there weren't really chapter books, they were just those, one of those bigger picture books and stuff. And also like reading about a little bit of history books too, like this one history book I've read when I was younger in middle school was about uh, Jefferson Davis, who was the president of the Confederacy back during the Civil War era. So that's where I kind of first learned about the Confederacy and Jeff Jefferson Davis. And this was like, and that was like more of a younger reader's uh, picture book, like not like a picture book where it's like hand drawn with cute shit. It's like you know p historical photographs and artwork. So yeah, that was pretty interesting. One of my first exposures to some of the more obscure parts of history because not everyone know, knew who Jefferson Davis was unless if you really dig into, you know, Civil War history or something. Just like how some people don't really uh, know about the Loyalist faction of the Amer American Revolution if you, if you don't dig deep into that subject. Nor do people know about uh, Perfidio Diaz who was the president of Mexico for like 30 years during the late 1800s. Unless if you really dig into Mexican history, which I did for two Mexican history classes at Fresno State, so. Yeah, and then I, then after I finished high school, which during high school I read a bunch of good books, like, you know, Great Gatsby, Grapes of Wrath, To Kill a Mockingbird, A Separate Piece, a bunch of very memorable books, which still hold a heart to my day, and a shout out to my English teacher who introduced me to these books back in my junior year, her name is Jennifer Moore, shout out to her, you know, she's a great woman, you know, a great teacher, even though sometimes we don't see eye to eye on certain things, but still, she is an amazing teacher. And I really thank her for, expo for, for you know, exposing me to more awesome books, okay? Yeah, she teaches a really high, by the way, so yeah, quick shout out. Anyhow, so. Yeah, I didn't, wasn't really reading much books after high school, unless if it was for like a class or like something like that. And I don't even remember some of the books I've read for classes back at Reedley College, to be honest, other than a book about this uh, Mexican-American guy. I think I still might have that book, just have to check. That one was pretty interesting. I also read the short story collection from this author for one of my English classes back at Reedley College, which... I've actually met that author when he actually visited that same semester, so I, I think I still have the book and have that book signed by him, too, okay? Other than that, it wasn't really much until I started, you know, reading a bunch of Star Wars books in 2018, which I read about five Star Wars novels, and I thought they were pretty good, made the Star Wars lore more big, expanded, refreshed to me. Especially the Thrawn books, which I am planning to read another Thrawn book next week when my when the new one comes out. So I'll be reading that if I during my spare time at least. So I 
Notice that I didn't really read much books in 2019 other than one Star Wars book about Darth Plagueis, which is very good though, by the way. So I figured, I'm gonna make my New Year's resolution this year, in 2020, read more freaking books. But not just, you know, Star Wars books, but also over fiction or non-fiction too, so... Yeah, I'm gonna be going by the books, which I have finished in order, okay, so just letting you know. And I'm also gonna be talking about some of the books I am currently reading at the moment too, because, you know, they're... Because once I finish those books, they'll be adding up to how many books I've read this year, so... Yeah, so the first book I've finished was actually a book I kind of started reading in December of 2019. Although, I kind of didn't really read that much because, you know... I got that book when the finals were popping off and I really needed to study and finish these papers and stuff like that. And that book is a Star Wars book called Master and Apprentice. Now the thing about this book is that I was actually been wanting to read this book for since it came out in May as a hardback, you know, hardcover book I mean. Because it talks about uh, Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi when they were, you know, when Qui-Gon was still Obi-Wan's master and Obi-Wan was still a Padawan. Like, this was, you know, before, like, the book was set about 20 years before the events of Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And we never really got to see much of the way of Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan doing stuff before the events of that movie. So, I was actually looking forward to this book too because it talks about you know what they did during this during this one excursion to this one planet where another Jedi was acting as some kind of liaison or something over and there's like some kind of incident involving the royal family of that same planet so it was pretty cool to see Qui-Gon's and Obi-Wan's relationship as master and apprentice you know before the events of the Phantom Menace. And I really liked the book. Like, it's one of my favorite of the Disney Star Wars canon, though. I have to point out that Darth Plagueis is not part of Disney canon, but it's still a great book, even though it's not canon in the Disney Star Wars universe. But I digress. Yeah, so basically, it shows how testy, you know, the bond between Obi Wan and. Qui-Gon was back then, like, they didn't really seem to get along very well to the point where Qui-Gon was seriously contemplating, regretfully by the way, because he still really cared for Obi-Wan during their struggle during that, before the events of the Phantom Menace in that book. Like, he was considering, you know, just giving up on Obi-Wan and he should probably go to a different master and st stuff like that. And you got to see, you know, what other Jedi were doing, like Mace Windu or Count Dooku, even though he was mentioned a few times in this book. Like, I do know it mentions that he left the Order, like, shortly before the events of the book began. Because, you know, he was a very controversial Jedi, if you don't know Star Wars lore, but I'm not going to be talking about Star Wars lore the whole time, okay? So, yeah, and I also really like this Jedi that they introduced in this book, where he's like some laid-back dude who is, you know, 
who is good with the women, and he sometimes curses and smokes death sticks. <laughs> yeah, he was a pretty enjoyable character. I forget his name, but he was, a, yeah, a pretty enjoyable character. And we we're also introduced to these two uh, smugglers who ended up crossing paths with Obi-Wan Obi and Qui-Gon on this planet, too. Like, I really didn't find, you know, their the chapters where they talk about them that interesting at first, but it started to grow on me as the chapters went on, especially this one human character who was raised by droids, you know, like protocol droids like uh, C-3PO. You know, I'm not talking... Not saying it was C-3PO who, who raised him, but, you know, it was just droids like C-3PO who raised him, so he kind of talks like a droid, kind of, based on his mannerisms, so I thought it was pretty funny. Overall, I thought it was a pretty good Star Wars book. Like, I got the paperback version, so, and I finished it in January, right before, I mean, like, during the, like, during the beginning of the, when the classes started, so, yeah, I read... That, so I kept reading even be, between classes or on my way to classes on the Uber or like the buses. So yeah, I really enjoyed it and I found the epilogue to be touching considering that I'm not going to spoil it, but to hint, watch the Phantom Menace you'll be talking about why it's sad. Okay, so yeah, Star Wars Master and Apprentice. Would I recommend it? Sure, but only if you're a Star Wars geek. Other than that, you probably won't enjoy it unless if you want to learn more about Star Wars or already a Star Wars fan yourself. So, yeah, check it out. Now, another book I've been reading is another science fiction book, and it's considered to be one of the greatest novels ever written, and that would be Frank Herbert's Dune. Now, I've always heard about the Dune books and the Dune saga and Frank Herbert. Because, you know, I like science fiction, although I've never read any of Frank Herbert Herbert's books before, including Dune. And I've always heard people talk about how great and deep and philosophical and how rich, you know, Dune is and, you know, how it's basically what... You know how Lord of the Rings is to fantasy, Dune is to science fiction. And I thought, okay, I really have to check out this book. To, you know, it seems pretty interesting, okay? Not to mention that my Jewish studies professor even brought it up during one of our lectures because apparently Dune is inspired by tropes and figures from the Bible and the Torah and you know, Jewish culture and even Arab culture too. So, oh, and I thought, you know, this is getting pretty interesting. I should probably uh, check it out. And I also heard that there's going to be another film adaptation coming out later this year too. So I decided to order the book off of Amazon. But I had to wait a while because it was sold out and they were restocking. So, it, so when it came back in stock, I ordered it pretty quick for like ten dollars they sell this was supposed to be like eighteen dollars off of amazon no it, at other places but on amazon they usually sometimes mark them down for like less cheaper like fifteen ten dollars like i got this pretty thick dune paperback for uh ten dollars and when it came in i started reading and okay at first this isn't like other science fiction books okay because 
because there's like more emphasis on the characters and the world building. Like this has some book has some crazy freaking world, crazy good world building in it too, and universe building as well. And I remember, you know, reading like the first couple of pages, I was like, okay, this is interesting, but I, I don't know, started thinking, okay, this is kind of slow. Like it has a pretty slow start, but it starts picking up as you keep reading. And then I remember having to take a break from the book because of school and then the pandemic happened and I had more time to read. So I continued reading, you know, right when the, you know, when we had to stay inside for like the COVID and whatnot. And I started to become attached to the world and the characters of this book. Like it's very well written, even though it is sometimes kind of a, like it, it is a very deep and hard read, to be honest, because because the way the characters, you know, talk about, you know, philosophy and religion in this world and the way things work in this universe, especially on the planet Dune, which is actually called Arrakis in the book, but it's called Dune because it's like a desert planet that, you know, it's kind of like a very hot desert and there's like very few life. Other than some kind of tribe called the Fremen. And once I finished this book around June. I was thinking a lot about the book because. Not only was this book a science fiction adventure. It was also like a mystic discovery because the main character his name is Paul Atreides who is the prince of a royal family house Atreides and he ends up finding out that he's like the chosen one like the messiah of the Fremen tribe that's on that planet after his family gets killed by a rival royal family and one of the main I, I know I'm probably gonna sound a little bit a little confusing when I talk about this because believe me I was a little confused at first after reading certain chapters but after rereading and doing a bit of research it started to make a lot more sense to me so so yeah I'm just trying to explain the concepts of the book the best I can because it's 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 a really good book though even though it is a very thick and tough read so so yeah, he finds out he's like this chosen one and there's like this thing that everyone's after on this planet called the Spice, which not which is a resource that that's not only, you know, that everyone is after, but it also gives, you know, you some mystic powers, like some sort of high. So it's like, <laughs> like kind of like taking drugs almost, but you know what I mean. And I also talks about like these other characters besides Paul like his mom his dad the Duke which I really liked and the villain uh, the Baron yeah he was a very evil man in this book very good villain as well even though the 1980 movie kind of portrayed him as some kind of cornball over the top kind of which I did enjoy the Dune movie when I saw it though after reading the book even though it's not the most faithful, it was still entertaining, I should say. Yeah, so it's probably going to take me like a whole other, you know, 
video or I'm excuse me a podcast episode to explain what exactly Dune is really about. But I could sum up sum it up as a as not only as a science fiction adventure, but also a science fiction world building adventure with some politics and environmentalism reached in there. So yeah, you should check it out if you really want one of the deepest science fiction reads out there, especially if you love science fiction. Not to mention that Dune is also considered to be one of the greatest novels ever written. Even It's even on, you know, these top book lists with other, you know, p- great pieces of literature like A Handmaid's Tale or like Great Gatsby or Kill a Mock... I mean, To Kill a Mockingbird or... Or, you know, these other great fine pieces of American literature or even, you know, world literature considering The Handmaid's Tale was apparently Canadian, but, you know... I've never read Handmaid's Tale, so, but I'm just including that because, you know, a lot of people seem to like that show, but I haven't seen it myself either, so, yeah. Other than that, Dune, Frank Herbert. Great science fiction novel. Tough to read, challenging, but it's worth it in the end. Would I recommend it? Of course. Of course. Okay. And another book I've also read which I started reading during the summer, was a non-fiction book called The Mongol Empire. Hold on, I have, to look up, I have to look what the subtitles are really quick. I'll be right back. Hold on. Okay, so I just, okay, so I'm back. I just had to grab my book, and the book is called The Mongol Empire, Genghis Khan, His Hot, His Hearers, and the Founding of Modern China by historian John Mann. So, I've been, so what led me to get this book was I was looking for some history books to read over the summer so I could probably learn something new, or, you know, just because, so I could probably, you know, because I like to read during the summer too, just like how I like to play video games during the summer, so... Yeah, so one of my interests of history as an aspiring historian includes Asian history, which includes China, Japan, uh, Korea, and Mongolia, and Russian history, so... Yeah, I was looking for a couple of books about those topics as well. And I remember, I really want to learn more about the Mongol Empire and Genghis Khan, so I was looking up some recommended books i found some good choices although some were like over 700 something pages long and i don't think i'll be able to finish that especially with the books i have to read for my classes in the upcoming semester so and the shortest book well there's two of them i had to choose between that i was choosing between it was this book the mongol empire by john mann and another book about a genghis khan which was shorter than this one though so so I figured I start with this one first before I go on to the other one, which is from a different historian. So, yeah, and this book by John Mann about the Mongol Empire and Genghis Khan and its hires and the founding of modern China was pretty damn good. Okay, let me tell you that. It's very informative, very deep and rich. 
It talks about the beginnings of the Mongol Empire, the origin of Genghis Khan, like where he lived, you know, how he hunted, and how he became the Khan of the Mongol Empire, and even gives very, you know, detailed descriptions of some of the places the historian visited in Mongolia and parts of China because remember the Mongols conquered China for a while and installed their own puppet dynasty too called the, I think the, it's called a Yuan dynasty I'm not, I'm not I'm not sure I keep getting the dynasty's names mixed up in China so So yeah he even has some photos he offer took of those shrines and those places and even the birthplace of Genghis Khan himself in this book too. Not to mention that there's also descriptions of some epic battles and even some very freaking bloody massacres like it talks about how the Mongols you know freaking murdered you know soldiers on the streets and there was like blood freaking blood and fat all over you know Beijing and stuff and even talks about the Mongols invading Russia back then heck he even tells you that the Mongols also invaded Poland of all places like believe me the Polish people can't take a freaking break at all <laughs> anyhow but still then also talks about the circumstances regarding the death of Genghis Khan and how they ended up choosing his successors and he even talks about Kublai and you know how he invaded the Korean Peninsula and tried to invade Japan which we all know if you know this I'm pretty sure everyone knows that you know they failed to take Japan because of a storm but it turns out that it wasn't really a storm it was just that the Mongols had a shit navy and they didn't know anything about Japan and the samurais freaking kicked them out like it was nothing like they're like border patrol champions of their day so yeah and also talks about how the Mongol Empire eventually fell apart and stuff too. And the whole thing about the founding of modern China, which is part of the subtitle of this book, is that it ties together, you know, the legacy of Genghis Khan and the Mongols, you know, and how their legacy affects Chinese policy to this very day, especially around the around Tibet where if you don't keep up with the news too often they you know have control over Tibet and there's like a you know a movement about freeing Tibet from Chinese rule and how they had and how the Chinese have these concentration camps for the for the Uyghur minority group in Xinjiang which is a part of China which kind of borders you know Central Asia you know like Kazakhstan Afghanistan all that stuff and one thing I found interesting is that it turns out that the Chinese obsession over Tibet is actually a Mongol thing when the Mongols controlled China for a while. So basically, China's obsession with Tibet is something that's been left over for years since Mongol rule. And I thought that was pretty interesting how a lot of Chinese policies or Chinese territorial disputes are actually leftovers from the Mongol Empire and Mongolia itself and it even talks about Inner Mongolia too which is a province in modern day China you know Kami China communist China yeah yeah overall 
This is a very fantastic book if you want to learn more about the Mongol Empire and Genghis Khan. Although, if you want to learn specifically about Genghis Khan, I think this guy, uh, John Mann, has another book specifically about Genghis Khan. Though, that book is kind of hard to find right now, to be honest, so you may have to wait for another printing. Yeah, so. And let me tell you, if I were to have teach... If I were to be teaching a class about Asian history in college, or a class about the Mongol Empire, I'd be assigning this book to my to my students. Okay, it's just that good. Although it may kind of drag a little, especially when it talks about some of the politics behind it. Excuse me, behind the Mongol Empire. But it still gets pretty interesting, even though it kind of drags at some points like that. So would I recommend John Mann's The Mongol Empire? Of course, I would recommend this book. Especially if you love history like I do. Or if you want to learn more about the Mongol Empire. Which, by the way, this is going to be a book I'll be using as a source for my paper on Ghost of Tsushima for my History of Video Games class. Considering that it kind of talks about the Mongol invasion of the Japanese island of Tsushima for a brief moment. So yeah, this will be a decent secondary source for that. And another book I am I also started reading during the summer, which I am almost finished with, is uh, Dune Messiah by Frank Herbert. Now, Dune Messiah is the sequel to Frank Herbert's original Dune novel. And based on what I've heard, this is one of the Dune books that fans don't or like the least favorite like I do know a lot of fans of the original book do like Dune Messiah but they don't think it's that good as, as a sequel or it's not as good as the original Dune book or the other Dune books like Children of Dune, God Emperor of Dune, Char Chapter House Dune or even some of the Dune books that were written by Frank Herbert's son later on. So the reason why I got this book was because I actually liked the original Dune book so much after finishing it in June that I want to check out the rest of the Dune saga and, you know, read it for myself. And as of recording this, I'm on, let's see how many pages I have left. I have like about, let's see, I think I have about 40, 35 pages left. So I'm like almost done. And what I, what I think of it? think of the book since you know I'm already almost finished with it anyway I might am finishing it today even I think it's an it's an enjoyable book okay it's an enjoyable follow-up to Dune but it's not as great or or mind blow not not mind-blowing I'm not sure what word I'm trying to find but thought-provoking, it's not as thought-provoking or or as great as the original Dune novel. Like, this is not a bad book. Dune Messiah is not a bad book at all. I actually think it's a good book, but it just isn't as good as the, uh, as the original Dune book. Now, the basic premise of this book is that it takes place about, I think... I think 10 years after, 15, 10 years, I think, after the first Dune novel, and it talks about the main character of the previous novel, uh, Paul Atreides, becoming 
you know, the emperor of the known universe. And he is called Muad'Dib, which means Messiah in the Fremen language. So basically, he's like this emperor, and there's like this thing called a jihad going on where all of his followers and his supporters, you know, fight in his name and conquer planets in his name, too. And, and he's basically disturbed by it, too. Like, he doesn't really want to be known for this stuff. Meanwhile... Stuff and it's causing some fractures within the House of Trades royal family too. However, some there is a conspiracy brewing from other factions in this book, where they are planning to take down Paul Atreides and reinstall the previous royal family. So that's one thing I find interesting is that you know while. Paul struggles with, you know, his. Hold on. Drop glasses for some reason. Yeah, as Paul struggles with, you know, being, you know, being an emperor and having all of these horrific acts done in his name, there is a plot against him at the same time. So that's one thing I really like about about this book even though that it's really isn't as good or as executed as it should it's not a bad book it's so good though in my opinion and i do plan on reading the next book after this once i finish it called uh children of dune which i heard is actually better than this one though and it's one of the top dune books according to fans and Let's see what else was i gonna say and, and it's also a shorter book than the original Dune novel. Like, the original Dune novel, based on my paperback, is about 600-something pages. While this one is about uh, 340 pages. So, yeah, it's a shorter book, and I'm not sure why it's shorter than that one. Who knows? And, and another thing about this book... About Dune Messiah, that kind of uh, deconstructs the chosen one or the Messiah archetype, too. Which I won't explain how it does because I because it kind of delves into spoiler territory. But yeah, it's still a good book, even though there are some flaws. So would I recommend it? Yes, but only if you finish reading the first Dune novel. Okay, if you like the original Dune novel, read this book. Okay. And it, and I think also feels, and it also kind of feels more like a interquel leading into uh, Children of Dune. So, yeah. So you should read this if you finish your first Dune novel and want to read more of the Dune Saga by Frank Herbert. Okay, these are some pretty good books. And another book I am currently reading, which I have kind of paused on because of you know, schoolwork and because some of the classes require some books that I need to be reading is a brief history of Japan, Samurai, Shogun, and Zen. The Extraordinary Story of the Life of the Rising Sun by Jonathan Clements. Now, how I came across this book was through Instagram. So I follow some history meme pages on Instagram. One of them is not really that much of a meme page, but more of a fun page about history called History University. And sometimes on a story he may, you know, recommend some history books he's been reading so far and what he thinks. 
And I saw this book, A Brief History of Japan by Jonathan Clemens on his story. And he said that, you know, this guy Jonathan Clemens is like the guy to, you know, head over if you want to learn about Asian history. And I was like, okay, let me check if this book is on Amazon. And yes, it was on Amazon for about $10. But it was selling up pretty quick. And I would assume that a lot of people saw the story and just wanted to buy that book. Or perhaps it was probably assigned to some freaking class about, you know, Asia or Japan. So, so I just ordered it before, you know, it sold out. Well, I, which I'm sure they'll be able to restock after it sells out, but probably take some time. Then I got it after two days. And I started reading. And so far, I really like this book. Like, it goes over the entire history of Japan even though it's supposed to be brief like the title says it's supposed to be talks about like prehistoric Japan like the hunter-gatherers and talks about like the earliest kingdoms and some of the creation myths of the ancient Japanese religion known as Shinto which is still practiced by many Japanese today and currently as of pausing my read I am currently on chapter 3 which is Still, which is about medieval Japan. And I should point out that the chapters in this book are actually pretty long, I should say. Like, they're about 30, 60, 40 pages each. So, despite it being a brief history of Japan, I would bet there's going to be a lot of, you know, interesting stuff about Japan to be, you know, to be read as, as I go through. Like, I think I'll... I mean, I will admit, I kind of paused on Dune Messiah too, but when usually when I have some free time away from school, I usually read the books I pause on, including this book, A Brief History of, of Japan, as well. So, and this book I will also be using as a, another source for my paper about uh, Ghost of Tsushima because it because because it does talk about you know the. Because I checked in, excuse me, I checked in the glossary and it will talk about the Mongol invasion of Japan and how they kicked their asses out. So, yeah, and it even mentions the city of Tsushima in the, hold on, in, in the introduction as well. I mean, the island of Tsushima, that is, in the introduction. It's, oh yeah, I think I found the page. Let's see. If I could read it really it says Kublai's first armada in 1274 swiftly, swiftly snatched the islands of Tsushima and Iki in the 200 kilometer 124 mile strait. The huge fleet packed into the wide sweep of the Hakata Bay which had been for centuries the gateway to the islands of any foreign shipping. The natives were waiting for them. The country had not seen a meaningful battle for two generations, and the members of its warrior class, the samurai, were spoiling for a fight. They had, however, distinctly odd ideas about how a battle should proceed. The Mongols and their Korean and Chinese allies watched in bafflement as a soldier clad in strange armor tied with brightly colored silks shot a noise-making humbling bulb arrow over their, hair, excuse me, over their heads. It screamed in the air on the blustery November day, intended by the defenders to a single, to, to excuse me, to signal a parley and a series of small bouts between champions. So yeah, that's from the 
introduction of this book where they where he kind of touches upon when the mongols landed in japan on the island of tsushima so yeah so i'll be continuing reading and even though i haven't finished this book as of yet i'd still recommend it to those who are interested in asian history particularly in the history of, of japan kind of like how i recommended john mann's the mongol empire for those who are interested in mongolian history and especially chinese history because you know kind of talks about that too so yeah those are some so would i recommend a brief history of japan yes check it out now on to uh, two other books I am reading for specifically for classes, okay. I I know I mentioned this book before as with the other one in in another class, it'd be in another podcast episode where I talk about my classes, and this one is called The Pursuit of Power by Richard J. Evans, who is a historian on European history. And it's a pretty thick book. I've already had a have a bunch of I'm not sure if you could hear them through the microphone, a bunch of post-its on some important pieces because you know I'm required to read this so I can look back just in case if I need to explain something. And what I think of the pursuit of power so far, it's a long, rough read, but also very interesting too. And it explains, you know, what's been popping off in Europe between the years of 1815 and 1914, which, you know, 1914 is the start of World War I, and that changes everything. Like, it mainly talks about, you know, some of the turbulent moments during that time in Europe, like after the French Revolution and, you know, after Napoleon. And believe me, in this book, they basically, the book says that all of Europe was actually afraid of France and Napoleon during that time. So they had to try everything to try to stop Napoleon, Napoleon from conquering them. Yeah, like imagine being afraid of a short French dude. <laughs> but still. It also talks about some of the conditions that the people in Europe were experiencing that would lead them to launch several revolts during this time and why some of the great European powers like Britain, Tsarist Russia, Prussia, yeah, Prussia, and Italy and even Spain even were afraid of, you know, why they were afraid of these revolutions because, you know, a lot of those who ruled France during the French Revolution, you know, there was like a bunch of crazy sites, like people getting shot on the streets and blowing up buildings and stuff. Yeah, so you basically go into, you know, what caused the people of Europe to revolt and how those in power tried to quell or even stop that from happening so yeah it's pretty interesting and i would recommend it if you're into your if you're into european history and like the other book the history a brief history of japan i haven't finished yet but i'm not sure if i'm gonna finish this book because sometimes when you're assigned like a book or a novel in a class you don't read the whole thing you just read the most important bits so we'll see how it works so far, I think it's a cool book about European history after Napoleon, but before World War One. Check it out. Now to the other book, Fasundo, uh, by Domingo F. Ciamento. Now what makes this novel interesting, though, is that it's actually a primary source that's written 
during the time in Argentina when, you know, the Argentine independence movements from Spain were happening and some of the debates over, you know, who should rule after the Spanish get kicked off and stuff. And not to mention that this book is, this book, did I say, yeah, I know I said a title in a previous podcast episode, but I'll say it again. This book, Fasundo, or Civilization and Barbarism by Domingo F. Sarmento, is actually one of the most popular, if not the most essential books down in Argentina. And those who are studying uh, South American history, particularly that of Argentina as well. And what do I think of this book so far? Like the other one, interesting. And more in-depth in depth in its setting because unlike Pursuit of Power which is a secondary source written from an historian on European history this book was written by somebody who was living in Argentina during the time of the independence movements against you know Spain and you know all of these inner conflicts between the Argentine people and also dives into you know how people live in Argentina and how people fought and their lifestyle and how they viewed, you know, the Spanish, Europeans, and even mentioned how, you know, the American Revolution kind of inspired them to take up arms against the Spanish. So yeah, it's pretty interesting stuff. And I think we'll be able to finish this book in for our class because it's only about, it's a, it's a shorter book, like about 235 pages, I think. Although I was looking at the schedule for this class, and it looks like we probably won't be reading some other chapters of this book for uh, for a while, so we'll see what happens with that one. But if we don't, I'll probably end up finishing it on my own time if no other chapters are assigned from the book. So would I recommend it? Yes, if you're into South American history, Latin American history, or Argentine history, you should totally check this book out. Okay, so that makes up how many books I've read this year so far. Okay, let's see. Okay, I'm just counting. So that makes seven books that I have re- that I am reading have read I mean so far this year even though I have only finished about about three of those books and the other ones I'm almost and one book I'm almost finished with while the other one I'm kind of paused at because of other books so yeah it looks like after when I finish reading those books, I'll be up to seven books finished. Excuse me, I'll ha- I would have. I'll be. <laughs> dang, I keep screwing up my voice. I'm sorry. So yeah, if things go well. I'll be up to seven books re- read, finished reading, I should say. And I am expecting to read another Star Wars book, which is a prequel to the. To the Disney version of the Thrawn books called *A Thrawn Ascendancy*, 
which I should be getting next week, so since I pre-ordered it. So that'll be pretty cool. I'll also be reading that during my free time when I don't have to read these other books for my classes or schoolwork. So yeah, those are some of the books I've been reading so far this year. Some finished, some paused, some almost finished, but hopefully I'll, you know, have read a lot of books by then, so yeah. I just, you know, love to read, you know. Reading's good for you too, it also expands your mind, you know, makes you think a bit more. It's like working out your brain, kind of, and your mind, if you read constantly. And that way you'll be able to read bigger, more juicier stuff too, and heavier reads as well. So yeah, that's... So I just sip my coffee. So that's my podcast episode on the books I've read so far this year, and I hope you really enjoyed me talking about the books and recommending them. And if, and if you have been reading any books, let me know what you've been reading, whether it be a fiction book or a non-fiction book. Let me know what you've been reading, and maybe I'll check them out myself someday, too. So, yeah, I love reading. Hope you do, too. So that wraps up my episode of the Bradcast, and I'll see you next time.